Now let us turn our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now begin with an illustration to try and bring home a certain point. Now a multi-billionaire, a multi-billionaire had planned and intended to give much to his children. And they will receive it in future one day. But they would only do so, but he would only do so for each child if the child was worthy of the inheritance and the reward. Only if the child was worthy. And the criteria was that the child would do whatever the father would want him to do. Not what he wants for himself. Now he would put each child through their own tests. But he did not tell them that they were going through tests. He did not tell them that their rewards are going to be dependent upon that test. Now, the inheritance would be of great amount and, of course, great responsibility of continuing his, his, um, his work on earth would come with it. Great responsibilities comes with great inheritance. Now, so the father tested the child one by one to see if they're worthy of his inheritance. The father gave specific instructions and commands to each child. Now, for many of the children, they were good for a period. Some stayed obedient throughout. But some, they began to learn from one another the bad habits and to become selfish. Some began to have their own ideas about, well, if I get what the Father gives me one day, I know we are rich. What he would want to do with those things for himself. Now, when the time was finished, the child was tested, some failed, some passed. Now, one of the child, when he was sitting there and the executor was executing the inheritance to different people, it was really a time of reckoning around the table. Now, he was very shocked. He was very shocked. He thought that he was doing what the father wanted, but he was really doing what he was in his own heart. Now, when he heard the executor say, this was what your father would have given you. And he looked at it, wow. And he said, but the instruction was, if you did not do this or that, or live this way or that way, that way, it will all be taken from you. And it is all taken from you. Now, imagine this child's response. He was very sad. But he was very shocked. His jaw dropped. His heart dropped. His mouth went dry. Blood drained from his face. He was pale. Because he know that it is all over. All over. Now that child went away saying to himself, I had some idea in my heart that I was not what I should be. But I didn't realize that these were tests. And he went away saying to himself now, how foolish, how foolish I was. How foolish I was to be after my own heart. Now this well describes this passage. Please look at verse 13. For Samuel chapter 13. 13 verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. The title today is about the folly of being after our own heart. Saul was after his own heart. We established that. And Samuel's description to Saul about his life and what he did and how he lived, what he chose was, Saul, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. Now, listen to this part. For now would the kingdom, would, for now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. 
For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom, your kingdom, something that God wanted to give and was willing to give to him. God has planned that for now. So Samuel was telling him, what have you done? You are so stupid. Why did not you just obey God? You are so stupid, foolish. Did you, you didn't know that now, God at this point, it was at this point of time, at this point now, God who has established your kingdom upon Israel. What have you done? How foolish. Verse 14. Now he says again, but now, it was now. Now would the Lord have. God was ready to do it. God was willing to do it. God has prepared it. Verse 14. But now, thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him after a man after his own heart and captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. Now, I do not know what was going on in Saul's heart, but you and I, when we read this, this must truly strike fear in our heart. But now God would have, it's just like this executor showing everything that the son could have inherited. And say, but now, these are all gone. Zero. This was, there was no turning back. Now, dear friends, do you realize that what illustration I use is going to be exactly what we will feel one day? Now, God is different from this father that I use for an illustration. This father kept this test as secrets. He did not tell the child, now, if you do this, if you live this way, I will give you this reward, this inheritance, right? He kept it from them. But God, our father, does work differently. Please turn with me. I know you've heard this many times. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 12 to 15. Verses 12 to 15. Now, let me read to you. Now, if any man built upon this foundation of gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, now every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work, of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But himself shall be saved, yet so, yet so as by fire. Now, God is not like this father I use for illustration. God tells each one of us very clearly, explicitly. God even describes very explicitly the scene that will happen. Well, imagine if that father said, well, I tell you, one day all of you are going to sit around this table and then my executor, my executor is going to execute my will. And it's going to be dependent on this criteria. Now, imagine if the child heard that. He said, well, at least I know. God the Father did make sure we know repeatedly. Now, I used the illustration earlier because we can relate to those things because we hear it all the time. And then we read it in newspapers. And we say, oh, what a waste. Maybe we have experienced some of this ourselves, like children. Daddy and mommy says, now, don't do this. Now, if you, don't do, if you obey us when we come back, there will be a reward. But then you did not obey. And then they come back and you realize, oh, I should have, I should have. Why was I so foolish to play that little thing for a while? to want to do that for a little while, to watch that for a little while. Now the thing that was so wonderful is no more mine. We can, under, we can relate to this kind of things. But when somehow, when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it don't strike us as really we are going to stand there one day and this is a scene in the future that is going to have happen exactly as God 
said so. It shall. Now look at chapter 3, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now it says, every man's work shall be made manifest. Every, you, I. Just put your name there. Joseph's, Joseph Poon's work shall be made manifest. Suddenly it strikes home. You see, for Saul, he just heard these things and then he heard the commandment early on. It was like nothing. Put your name there. For the day shall declare, it shall be made manifest. It will appear. It will be tested. And it is a trying. God tells us he will try every man's work. Now, but God also says this. Do you want on that day to hear this? Your work are burnt up. You have suffered loss. Next, please. Do you realize that that can happen to us exactly as what we heard about in this illustration? Now, just because we are saved, God is merciful to tell us, you are saved. But what sort of work will you have? The work describes what they do for the Lord on earth, how they lived, what were their motives in their life, whether it's doing whatever for God, what are their motives? Or what were their motives? Were they after their own heart or after God's desires? Now, I want you to also notice, God says, gold, silver, precious stones, means these are things that they will, they will pass the test. But there are also wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble. Not just wood, but wood, not just wood and hay, but wood, hay, and stubble. Now, the emphasis is to remind us. It's not just one thing. It's many things. We can be doing many things on earth. And please don't go through life thinking that just because I'm doing many things, they are not going to be burnt up. You can keep living your life day in, day out. Even thinking that these things are gold, precious stones. But they're actually wood, hay and stubble. Oh, Christian, this is what we mean. This is what we mean. Every time we say, why does God give, reveal the future to us? Why does God do that? We can, we can say it with our eyes closed. So that... God tells us the future so that when we know the future, we will know, we will change our lives now in the light of what we know will definitely happen. We say that again and again, but somehow it's not connected between the intellectual knowledge down to the heart. That is why many of us, well, continue in coldness, lack of zeal, lack of desire for things spiritual because of that. Now, God is a God that makes very clear to us how He's going to test us, that there will be a test, that there will be loss. Suffer loss and you enter into eternity. Now, the point at this part is this. Christian, what are you willing to suffer? Loss for eternity in exchange just to do, just to live how you want to live now. What will you be willing to lose? The word of God given in the Old and the New Testament is for us to learn the things that others have gone through and they failed not to make that mistake. It's, and the future is for us to know it's going to come. Let us not be foolish what are you willing to lose, my friend? Saul lost this eternal privilege. What exactly it is? Your, your, your kingdom is now taken away. Your kingdom will have been established forever. Now, what exactly, what exactly it looks? Even we don't get to see it. But God had planned it. Some may think, well, but I thought it's David and a lot of things. Please just simply know, God is not a liar. God says, now it would have been. This was the one but he failed. Now, Christian, do you want that day when you stand before the Lord and say, Lord, please let me go back to live my life one more time. 
There's no such chances. Now, God gives us all this. And you know, in Luke 19, Matthew 25, where God talks about the faithful servant. He said, because you've been faithful in this, in little, then he knows that you'll be faithful in much, then he will reward you. Now, this reward is you will get much in heaven. But we are sinless in heaven. We are not going to long for the, oh, I want to get gold, I want to get silver, I want to get precious stones so I can wear them and show off in heaven. We won't be like that in heaven. But when we are going to be given a lot more in heaven, it means this. We are not going to use it for ourselves. We will will be given a lot more to use to serve God. But some will say, Lord, I want to do, but I don't have. God says, those who are faithful will rule over many cities. There are different levels. Also, God says, I planned this for you. I would have wanted to use this for you. And this will be your eternity. But it's all law. It's all gone. So know that that there is this plan, there is this desire that God wants to give you as an eternal privilege. And and that it can be your loss. It must be very real in your heart. Now, maybe you say, well, you know, Pastor, I I don't really care. I'm not the kind who, you know, want to rule. Yeah, I want to, want to do all these things, but just know this. When you get to heaven, you will regret. You will want to do things for the Lord, and you say, well, this could have been what I could do for the Lord, but it is no longer my privilege. Know that. You will feel differently. But can you please turn again, I'm sorry, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? For those who feel that, well, I, I, don't, I don't really care about these things. You know, I go to heaven, oh, whatever God gives me to do, then I... I I don't really care about what I I lose. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, look at verse 15. Now, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And to those who say, okay, never mind, I, I, I lose it, I lose it, it's all right. To those, God continues to say in verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Those who think, well, I don't really care about these things. Don't fool yourself. Well, God says, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. I saved you. You are not supposed to use this body of yours to pursue, to do whatever your heart wants. Disobedience, to God is defiling the temple. Know that. You just say, God, you gave me this body, but this body is going to do what I want this body to do. To those who say, I don't care about eternal rewards, God still tells you, you're not supposed to live as you wish. I don't care whether you care about your rewards or not. You're foolish enough to say, I don't care. Well, it's up to you. But know this, you are not to live, use your body to live as you wish on earth. So Christian, I hope that this will cause us to really realize there is an eternal privilege that God has planned for each one of us. And we are going through tests on this earth. One thing that must constantly drive our hearts, dear hearers, is what will I lose in eternity that God has planned for me that I could have the joy of using to serve Him, to love Him. What is that that I will lose? I don't want to lose that. Now, Christian, the church, the preaching of the pulpit, the Bible studies in the church, now is to prepare you, to prepare you for that day. Of course, to prepare you for many things. But one of the things is to prepare you to be the best you can be by the power of God. When you meet Him to have lived the life that God intended for you, that you will have the privilege that God intended for you for eternity. That is what the church always wants to do, so that you will not have regrets. Your life on earth now is to prepare you for eternity. That is what it is. An eternity that you can love and serve God in perfection and to have no regrets. Now, only one life. Choose carefully because it is short and it will be passed. Is it worth losing 
the eternal privilege that God has planned. I mean, for that day, for any one of us to hear, you know, now or that day, that time, God would have established your eternal privilege, whatever it was, whatever it is. But now, boom, burnt up, it's taken away. What is worth that, my friends? So please do not get upset. Please do not get fed up when the church keeps harping on certain things. If you are not changing, the church will keep harping. Now, parents, you understand that. But do you understand that for yourself? You keep persuading your child. Do this, do that. It is for your future good. Trust me. But they would not. And in your heart, you only have this good, this good towards the child. But they would not listen. And, you, and between spouses, you say, how foolish is this child? How foolish? It wants to pursue this thing which will result in nothing, will result in just pain, will just result in something that is so temporal. These things that we ask the child to do and so on and so forth, it would not do. How foolish. Well, that is exactly how we are as adults. Exactly the same. What are you willing to throw away? Satan has this great deception for Eve, right? Oh, God doesn't want you to have these things. That is what we experience. And he knows that you and I, if saved, genuinely saved, will be permanently saved. But he can cause your ruin in eternity, not in hell, but in a loss that God intended for you to have, but deceive you to throw it all away. Deceive you to throw it all away. To be foolish enough to feel that, well, it is worth it. Or to be foolish enough to feel, to, to disobey God's commandment to get what you want. Now, dear friends, I hope that by now, in your heart, you say, Lord, please don't let me end up in that state. Then we move to the next part. We move to the next part. Now, how do we end up like that? How did Saul end up like that? Let's learn so that we do not end up being foolish. Now, the first thing that you notice, look at verse, uh, let's turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. Now, look at verse 8. And he, that is Saul, tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and a peace offerings, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Now, it is at this time that Samuel turned up, and Samuel said, What have you done? Now, as I mentioned, we cannot know exactly, is it, was his sin? What, what did God commanded him exactly? Is it to wait for Samuel, no matter what? Or is it he cannot offer offerings? We do not know. But it's one of the two or the combination of both. But the whole point is not to figure out and to guess which one. The whole point is God simply wants us to know. Look at verse 13. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord. Look at verse 14. Because thou hast not kept that which he had commanded thee. It was a known command to Saul. And that is the same to our life. Now, the first thing we must learn is we can end up like Saul, foolish like Saul is, just because we can do something, it means that God is pleased and it is his will. God said, do not do this. It has to do with about Samuel turning up, waiting for Samuel turning up or offering the sacrifice. One of it or both of it. That do not, do not disobey what I've told you. But you see, Saul can do what he wants to do. Look at verse 9. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. He could do it 
There was nothing to stop him. The animals were there. He had people that he could command to bring it to him. Death. There was the relevant things needed there to burn, to give burnt offering. And different kinds of offering, burnt offering and peace offering. He could do many things. He had the resources to do it. He was in the position as a king to command and to do it. Now, Christian, we must learn this. You know, our hearts are such that when we want to do something and we feel that, hey, I can do it, things are falling in place, means God is pleased when you do it. Please know that. Just because you can. Just because things seem to be available, it doesn't mean it's pleasing to God. God was so angry. God says, now it is taken away. Don't look at it as a small thing. Just because I can do it and it went ahead, shouldn't be a big deal, right? Now, after all, these things are available. Now, being able to choose to do something doesn't mean it is God's will. Think about this. Some, illust- some examples. Now, just because you can now go to another country, just because you, when you reach the country, you can get a PR. For example, the, your company says, I want to send you to this place, this city. All right? And then you... Well, in the first place, your resources are taken care of. In fact, we'll pay for your whole family to move there. Their education, private school, we'll we'll take care of everything. Then you say, wow, you know, how is it possible? This is a very great privilege. Not everybody gets it. Well, it's possible. And you can. And then you go there, and then you apply for PR for you and your family, and it all, you you got them. You say, wow, everything is falling in place. I can. Now, just because you can doesn't mean it's God's will. Doesn't mean that it's what God wants you to do. Some of us, we take loans from banks because our heart wants to buy something. Even if it's a legitimate thing. But, well, we need to buy a car, yes. But we want to buy a certain car. We want to buy a house, yes. We want to have a certain kind of house. But to us, is well, these things, these things are, are needed, right? And look, when I went to the bank, the bank approved my loan. I can do it. It's within my means to do it. It's within my, um, this thing is provided for. I can do it just because I can. Then we go ahead and do it. And we don't ask, Lord, is this your will? Just because things fall in place, just because we can, just because things turn out quite amazingly, we studied that in Finding God's Will, right? Doesn't mean it pleases God. Don't interpret those things as well, God is pleased. Now think about this. Because of the move, did you ask, what is the impact to my children? There's no sound church. What's the impact to my spiritual growth? to lead my family. What's the impact to me as a single, for example? Is there a church that I can grow in, serve in? No. My children will be yanked around. Then they have to change school. And then they go through all this stress and there is no church. There is sound for them to grow and fellowship and for us as a family to serve with. All those things, just because I can. That is all. Just because I can take this loan and then we end up in serving, serving, serving alone, and we find that we can't go to church, we can't, so many things. But I can. I can means must be God must be pleased. That's why I can, right? That's why these things got approved. So Christian, Paul could, eh, sorry, Saul, Saul could fully do what was in his heart. The resources, the people to help him do it, all there. So Christian, think carefully. When we are after our own heart, we can interpret situations for ourselves. Just because it's not wrong, it's not illegal, right? It goes to the second one. 
Now, ultimately, even doing something that is not sinful in itself does not mean it pleases God. Now, see, that is the other thing. We thought, well, I can. So it must be God's will. It's quite amazing that I can. Then the next one, Saul could say, well, it's amazing. We have all this ready, you know. Then the next one is, just because something that you want to do is not sinful doesn't mean it pleases God. Remember God talked about wood, hay, and stubble? So God is not saying that you did not do things, all right? There were many different kind of things. Not sinful things. God didn't say, well, these are very sinful. Of course, I won't even bother to test it. But God tested things that you do. They may not be sinful, but what's the motive? Of what sort it is? What was the motive? So just because it is not sinful doesn't mean it is right. Was offering sacrifices by a king sinful? We saw later on Solomon did that. God did not rebuke. God accepted it. God descended into the temple. Now, was his desire to pray wrong? No, it is not. Not wrong, not evil, not sinful. But yet there was a commandment given. Now, maybe i give you some examples also. Do not throw away your eternal privilege, reward, inheritance that God already planned for you now. Do you know each one of us have that? That there is this, this plan, this eternal reward. That is why God said you will suffer loss, loss of the thing that God planned for you. Are you willing to throw it all away? Someone wants to marry a Christian. They say, I want to get married, all right? I want to get married. Marriage is not sinful, of course, not sinful. I, want to, I will marry a Christian. Well, marrying a Christian is not sinful. They're not sinful things. Well, the person already have in his or her heart, I will get married. Doesn't ask God, is this your will for me to be single or to be married? There's no such question. As long as it is not sinful, right? Getting married is not sinful, so God, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Now, marrying a Christian is not sinful, right? In fact, it's what God wants, right? But you do not check. The life, the character of the Christian. I like this person. I'm not going to ask God whether it's his will for me to get married in the first place, and I will marry this person as a Christian, right? And you do not check any further. You do not care. You just go ahead. You do not check if you do not care, you do not bother about observing, you do not bother about is this person willing to be what a husband, what a wife should be, what marriage model is. Never mind. I just go ahead because it's not sinful. And of course, I can, right? So Christian, just because you can go ahead with certain things and it is not sinful, well, to Saul, to Saul, Samuel, why are you so upset, Samuel? It's offerings. We can offer offerings. And Samuel, why are you so upset? I wanted to pray to God, right? To ask for help. Samuel, why are you so upset? Is getting a job sinful? See, we say, these are not sinful. Why is the church so, so upset? Well, have the job constantly make you break the Sabbath. It's part of the job. Jobs are not sinful, but you do not ask anything further. Now, are there church leaders that throw away their church appointment, the reward of an appointment, their elders who want to do certain jobs so much, who wants that money so much, their elders who love certain sports, certain things in their life so much that they're willing to break God's commandment and throw away the eternal crown that God prepares for them. So Christian, you and I must also ask ourselves, right? Well, Dad, Mom, I want to stay at home to pray. Is it sinful? Of course not. But it's Friday night. 
is fellowship night. There are also other commandments involved, right? Don't neglect the assembling of yourselves. So we can, in other words, how do we avoid this? How do we avoid this problem? Don't use God's word. Do not use God's word to support what you want to do in your heart. And no one, may, no one can argue with you. But you know that there are the other commandments that you also need to obey. You also need to know which overrides which. You must be clear in your heart. You can pray in any other day. I'm just giving you an illustration. It can be anything in your life and my life. Don't use God's word to rationalize and rationalize God's word and use God's word to support what our heart wants. You know, the heart is, is again like that. We, when we are after our own heart and there are things that we want to do, even if they're not sinful and we can do it, and it's, we don't want to acknowledge that it, it may not be God's will, we avoid other commandments. We ignore other commandments. Saul had a clear commandment. Offering sacrifices, praying is not sinful. But he had another commandment that was clear. That was to override it. Now, you know how Christians, we will rationalize God's words and twist it to the point where it supports what we want and we are willing to throw away our eternal reward for that. How? Recently, I came to realize that Christian teachers, they teach this. When God called Lazarus to come forth, when God called Lazarus to come forth, I see some of you smiling already. You know what it was. Come forth. Come out. You know, there's a big thing that the world uses. Come out. For what? Certain things that people want to do. Lifestyles. Even Christians. Christians, certain lifestyles, certain sins. They do not want to accept that it's sin. They want it for their own life. That was their heart. They want that life. And they say, well, come forth means, well, whatever you are, just be, just come forward and be that. See how people will twist God's word to suit what their heart wants. Just come forth. Well, that is what you are. Come forth and be that. That's it. Well, we know how many people twist many other doctrines as well, right? Now, rewards... Rewards are based upon what God intends and based on God's criteria. Please remember that. The Christian must move away from thinking, and this is the third thing, how we can end up like Saul. Now, if I'm doing something out of good intention, if I'm going, doing something that is not sinful, if I'm doing something that may benefit others, then it should be fine. You see, to Saul, perhaps in his mind and heart, well, if I pray and God delivers us, then isn't this good for Israel? Why are you so upset? Why are you so upset, Samuel? We want Israel to be delivered from these people, right? From the Philistines. So in our heart, when we begin to, begin, because we desire something, and in our heart, we begin, well, to begin to think, Lord, this is good, isn't it? It's not sinful, so it's, it's good. No, but still, dear friends, just because it is not evil, not sinful, just because it may even benefit others, now it doesn't mean God is pleased. Here, it was just a simple thing. The repeated reminder is, you broke commandment. You broke commandment. Now, today, people will rationalize disobeying God in this and that, be it the family model, be it, um, be it the singlehood life, be it the church model, be it whatever. Men will disobey God and do what they want to do, believing that if this is not, if this, if this is not sinful and I'm actually doing something good, 
but they can be wood, hay and stubble. It all depends on what has God commanded, not what you think will be good, not what you see others have done before and that is good, not the, what the world says is good. Now maybe you have the question then, Maybe you have the question then. Oh, sorry, at this point, no. God rewards based on what He commands, not what you think would, you would do that is good. What God commands. And I'll give you an illustration, all right? You join a company. The company makes cars. You know where they're going. But you love to make handphones. And you're a great engineer, right? And then when you join the company, you use the company's resources to make handphones. Handphones are not sinful things. And you keep making, and then the manager do a review and say, and the next thing you flash up, eh, a handphone, not a car design. What do you think the company will say? When you say, but you know, I have good intention and I really believe this is really good, good for the company. This, this, this is going to be the next big thing. All right? This is my idea. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you believe. The company says, I hired you. God says, I saved you to do what I intended for you to do. And my reward is based on that. It's not based on what you think is good, what you think is useful. And it may generally be good or useful, but that is not what God intended for you, for the family, for the church. That argument that you present to the boss in the time of interview, at the time of reckoning, the time of um, performance evaluation. What do you think the company say? Well, I'm so glad you did that. You, thought, you felt that was good and that was indeed good. You think they're going to say that? We were not interested in that. We hired you, we pay you for a very specific thing and we are rewarding you based on that very specific thing if you do it or not. So Christian, don't go down this road like Saul. This would bring good, right? Why are you so upset? Sacrifices are not sin. Prayer are not sin. And it should bring good in the end. Why are you so upset, Saul? But Saul simply said, this is a huge thing. Don't think, don't just act like as if because it's not sinful and because it's something that will bring good. It's not a huge thing when you disobey God. Saul will keep doing this. Later we'll see. Now, Christian, when you and I begin to twist God's word, rationalize in our lives to do what we want to do, and Christians are constantly doing that today, it's okay to marry unbelievers. It's okay to live this lifestyle. It's okay to, to um, drink alcohol. It's okay. You see, anything that people want, there's always a way to interpret scriptures. Now, when we begin to take that route, Dear friends, we go down a very, very dark path. We go down a very, very dark path in our hearts and in our minds. That was all. He will go down this path again and again, and we'll see. Everything gone. Now, Saul is going to continue to be king for a while. You know that. Just because we are continuing in a certain job, in a certain life, in a certain thing, doesn't mean that God will reward it. God already said, this is finished. But yes, you will be doing this for a while, but it's all, all lost. Now, Christian, when we go through life and we say, hey, I'm, I'm continuing, I'm continuing, sometimes it's God's judgment. You know it was wrong. You struggle in your heart and you find ways to rationalize it and you make that choice, you make that decision. Like Saul, it's the seventh day. He's standing there panicking, struggling. What to do, what to do, what to do? And he chose to do what his heart wanted to do even though he knew the commandment. He would rationalize the commandment. It should be okay to disobey God in this. Now, what should we do? If you're Saul there, standing, 
this thing is turmoil, uh, turmoil in your heart. Saul was going through that. All right? He explained, no, I waited. I waited. But you were not here. You could sense the, the turmoil in him. You could sense the, the impatience or the, or the urgency in him. I, I have no choice. I have to force myself to do it. You, you sense all that. Now, when you are in such a situation, how, how, what would you do when you're not sure? Will, will this choice make me throw away my, my, my privilege that God intended for me? Will I throw away the inheritance, the reward? Will I? What to do when you are not sure? Well, the answer that Samuel just simply kept telling him, look at verse 13. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord which he commanded thee. Look at verse 14. And the Lord hath commanded, uh, sorry, um, thou hast not kept that which the Lord hath commanded. Saul just keep, Samuel just keep bringing Saul back to this one simple point. The commandment of the Lord which he commanded you. When you are not sure, which is the commandment? Which overrides which? Well, the answer is very simple. Choose that which is clearest. Don't twist and turn and rationalize it. Choose that which is excellent. These are always biblical principles in there. Choose that which is excellent. That which will please God most in that situation. And what has God made clear about it? The clearest and excellent way is in the Word. It's known. But we, when we do not want to do His will, we studied in our series, right? The one that will do God's will. When your heart desires to do God's will. When your heart are totally submitted. And that's why we always say, the best is you have no preferences. Live a life that has no preferences. A man after God's own heart is one who has no preferences for himself or herself. Only one God's preferences. That is all. But when you realize that you begin to struggle, why are you struggling? So why are you struggling? Why did you need to have a struggle? Why did you even need to feel that you're forcing yourself? So why? So you just needed to have obeyed what God simply has said to you. Now, the fact that we begin to struggle is sometimes a telltale sign to us that the Holy Spirit is already causing us to struggle. Why do you have this struggle? Saul had the struggle. But it would have been so simple. When you wonder, will I throw away everything? I'm struggle with, struggling with this choice in life. And then simply say, Lord, which pleases you most? Which commandment fits and is understood most simply? Which will bring the best result in this, in this situation for you and what you have commanded? That I choose. Very simple. Now, it is not about what God did not say. God did not say that you cannot do it. It's always like, but God did not say, I cannot do this, right? God did not say, I cannot do that, right? But very many things are, God says, this is the way. This is how you should live. But we want to keep arguing. God did not say, I cannot. You see, these are signs of our heart struggling to be after God's own heart. These are signs that we must tell ourselves. Now, like I said earlier on, Christianity has interpreted that God has preserved His Word. Right from the beginning, it's not a new doctrine. Now, I bring this up not because I like to talk about it, but we just covered it this morning, all right? It's a good illustration. But when men, Christians in their heart, does not want that doctrine, does not want to accept that, they will twist, rationalize, misinterpret. Something that Christianity have always interpreted very simply, straightforwardly. He has kept, thou shalt keep, thou shalt preserve, O Lord. Simply that. But now it becomes this convoluted, complex decision that they must make. When it's so simple. There are many areas in the Christian life 
it is the same as well. See, once you can begin to think like that about God's word, in many areas of your life, singlehood, marriage, um, what job, what course of studies, and all that, everything else now suddenly becomes very complex. Why? Because your heart has already desired something, and that's why you struggle. Right? Parents, why does your child keep arguing with you? If your child is genuinely saying, Daddy, Mama, I, I don't really care, all right? Or maybe I use the example of husband and wife. The husband say, wife, dear, I love you, right? And I want to please your heart, all right? I am a man after your own heart, all right? What do you want to eat today, okay? The wife say, let's go eat Indian food. He says, oh, Indian food. I don't like smell. I don't like the taste. Then, you see, when you are truly a man after your wife's heart, let's go, right? But you will say, you will find many excuses. You will rationalize many things. You know, oh, Rindian, you know, the parking there is very difficult. Ah, you know, it's, uh, it's expensive, right? Ah, you know, um, the service is not very good in the restaurant. You will have many reasons. Wife, what goes on in your heart at that time? The fact that he keeps bringing up one after another reason after reason, you know he's not after your own heart. You know that no matter what he says from his lips, only when you say, let's go Japanese, oh, Japanese, let's go. Only when it suits him, he doesn't argue. But when it doesn't suit him, there are many reasons, many explanations why we shouldn't go, right? Now, I hope that illustration brings home this point to us. Now, I come to this end and ask you again. Saul lost everything for eternity. These are recorded for us to learn. What are you willing to lose? When you are not sure, why don't just keep on the safest, simplest path? Because that is the surest path, right? Why not that? Why so complicated? Just keep, to some extent, I would say, on the safest path. Then you know you're not going to throw everything away. It won't be a rude shock when you meet God. Let us rise to sing the closing hymn. Three, uh, 234, shall we rise? 234, 234, shall we rise?